Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Seated. There are so many important parts of Christian living that I think if any one of these daily or weekly or consistent basis, we wouldn't be able to say that we have a complete Christian life, if you will. The Bible says that the Word of God is given to us so that we can be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And God has given to us His Word so that we could grow, so that we could be more complete. And there's a number of different aspects that I think every single one of us would agree that if any one of these were missing, there's a big hole in our Christian walk. If we were to talk about praying and if we, if we were missing prayer, we just never prayed and never spoke to God and never gave him our requests and never asked him, I think every single one of us would agree, you know, there's a big part of the Christian life that's missing, right? We can't be whole or complete or have every part of the Christian life without prayer. Getting into God's word and reading it, and not just reading it, but meditating upon it and thinking about it and letting God's word sink into our hearts and affect us and change us, that's an important part as well. If we were to never get spiritual feeding and and go to God's word and get the milk of the word or the bread of the word and and to grow and to be strengthened, to get to the meat of the word, I, I think every one of us would agree, we're missing something, right? We're missing a big part of the Christian life. If we don't have prayer, if we don't have Bible reading, I think about Thanksgiving. If if we're missing Thanksgiving, if we're not a thankful people, boy, there's a big part of our Christian walk that's just not there, right? Hey, we should be thankful people. We should be grateful people. We have life. We have liberty. We have a church. We have God's inspired word in front of us and, and translated into a language where we understand. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have a wonderful pastor, Pastor Choi, and, and, uh, who's uh, leading us and praying for us and, and serving us. So what a, what a wonderful thing that we have. And I hope that you're thankful. Hey, if we live our Christian life without being thankful, there's a big part that's missing. Amen. Hey, when we think about something like joy, Christians ought to be joyful. Amen? Amen. We ought to be joyful people. Having the joy of the Lord in our hearts, knowing that we are saved, knowing that God loves us, knowing that God is always there for us, that he will never leave nor forsake us. Hey, we're not able to rejoice and we're missing something. If we're not able to forgive one another, yeah, and we have a great church and I love my church, but we're not perfect, are we? I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect, and, and uh, we'll do things, and we'll allow our flesh to, to win a battle, and, and the words of the flesh will come out of our lips, and, and actions of the flesh will come out through our deeds, and, and uh, we'll do something, or somebody will do something against us, and, and uh, it happens, and, and the flesh will win, and uh, we go to God, and we ask for forgiveness, but we also need to go to maybe a brother or sister and ask for forgiveness, and they'll need to come to us. And ask for forgiveness. If we're not able to forgive, we're missing a big part of the Christian life. To be able to have relationships to be restored between one another and also, more importantly, with God. Having faith, of course, is so core to Christian living. We are saved by grace through faith. Hey, we need faith. We need faith, and we need to trust God on a daily basis. And if we're missing any single one of these, I think we would all admit, you know, there's a big part of of Christian living that's missing in my life. There's another part of Christian living that I think if we're missing is is a big part of Christian life that we would be missing, and that is giving. Hey, if we're not giving, we are missing a big part of the Christian life. Amen? Amen. I noticed no amens at first, right? Hey, giving is a big part of Christian living. Giving is important to your Christian life. You need to give. And by way of introduction, I, I noticed out of God's word that there's a number of reasons why we should give. We must give to try to combat greed. There are 10 commandments, as you know. The 10th commandment is what? Thou shalt not 
covet. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservants, nor his maidservants, nor his ox, nor his ass or his donkey, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Out of the Ten Commandments, one of them is don't covet. And we need to give in order to combat greed and covetousness because it's tempting for us, isn't it? When you're driving down the street or you're pulling into a parking lot and you say, wow, that's a really nice car. I wish I had that car. Or you're driving over to see a friend and you pull up in front of their house and you look at their big house and it's in a gated community or whatever and you're thinking, wow, I really wish that I had that house. I want a bigger house now. I need a bigger house now. I deserve a bigger house. It's so tempting for us to fall into covetousness and into greed that we need to have the latest thing and the, and the greatest thing and the newest thing and, and then we need to show it off to our friends. We need to be careful of covetousness. It's a sneaky sin that gets into our hearts and we try to justify it, don't we? Right? We don't really need the newest phone, but we're like, oh, you know, my phone's just a little bit old. You know, I don't really need the newest clothing, but you know, oh, I got, I got nothing to wear, right? You know, that's the excuse. I got nothing to wear. Hey, let's walk into our closets and see whether that's true or not. But you know, we go shopping and we see something new. We think, oh, that's really great. I really want that. I need it. I got to come up with some reason why I bought it. When I bring it home, they're going to ask, hey, what'd you buy? Why'd you buy it? Well, I really needed this thing for this and that. But deep down in our hearts, we know we didn't need it. We wanted it. And maybe there's some covetousness that is in there. And God warns us time and time and time again of covetousness. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Paul is warning Timothy about covetousness and about greed. Be very careful because some have coveted after riches and wealth and money. And because of their covetousness, they have erred from the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2, warning us about the end times. Hey, you're going to know when you're in the end times when you see some of these things. Verse number two, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. They love themselves. The next one on the list is covetous. Boasters and proud and blasphemers, disobedient to parents and unthankful and unholy. God's trying to warn us about covetousness, isn't he? You know, we live in a wonderfully wealthy country, and yet isn't there so many times where we think, I need the new thing. I need another thing. I need a better thing. Hey, be careful not to justify covetousness. Allow God to get into your heart, to speak to your heart and to say, hey, do you really need that thing? Or are you just trying to justify that? Hey, is there greed that's cropping up? Allow God to inspect your hearts. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Let your life and your lifestyle be without covetousness and be, what's the next word? Content with such things as ye have right now. For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Really, it comes down to this question. Are you content today? Are you content? With what God has given to you? With your position in life? Now, we understand still that there are principles about working hard and using time wisely. And we see here the disciples that they use the money for the purpose of God. And we'll take a look at that in just a, a few moments. But it's good for us to just take a few moments here and there throughout the year to ask ourselves the question, am I really content today? Am I really content with what I have? If I'm not able to get the latest and greatest, the newest, the trendiest, would I still be content? And we need to be careful of covetousness. We also need to give to affirm who is master. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. Hey, you can't serve two people at the same time. If one person says go right and the other person says go left, you've got to pick one. So you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one. But God didn't just leave it as generalities. Then he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. You know, giving is such an important part of the Christian life for us to affirm who's master. Who's master in your life today? Who's in control? Is God in control? Are you in control? Is your flesh in control? Is your greed in control? Who's in control? And a great litmus test for us to know who's in control is this. Whoever controls the money is in control. Whoever's in control of the money is really the one in control, right? I might say that I have control, but if my wife is the one who decides where all the money is spent, guess who's really in control? In control, right? If I say, yeah, oh, I really want to do this, and my wife is like, well, I don't really want to know. I don't really think that this might be the right thing. I don't really want to go. I might act like I'm in control, but if she's the one that decides where the money goes, she's the one in control, right? Where the money goes decides and determines who's in control. So who's in control of your money? Is God really in control of your money? Or are you in control of your money? Or is there peer pressure pressuring you into what you should spend and where you should spend and how you should spend? Is God really in control of your life? We need to give in order to affirm who's in control. If God said to us this morning, I want you to give your tax refund, all of it to me, hey, that'd be a great test of whether or not is God in control or am I in control? Hey, we need to give in order to affirm who's in control. That's why giving is important. We need to consistently give. Whether you give great or little or however God moves in your heart, there are some specific instructions in God's word. In this passage, we actually see that the disciples, they gave above and beyond what we might call like the tithe and the offering or even faith promise missions. They took their land and houses and possessions and they sold it and gave it to the church. That's how they felt like God was moving in their hearts. Boy, this was a group of believers that though they were not perfect, we know God was in control. So is God in control of your life today? Is God in control of your heart today? Is God in control or are you in control? Is your greed in control? Are your, are your desires for the pleasures of this life in control? Hey, where the money goes is a great indicator of who's really in control. Again, by way of introduction, I see another reason why we need to give. You need to give. Your Christian life depends upon giving. And you need to give. Why? So that you can receive the better blessing. Acts chapter 20, verse number 35 says, I have showed you all things. Here is Paul. He's speaking to the pastors of Ephesus. And he says, I have showed you all things. He says, I've demonstrated in front of you all of these things. How that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, receiving something is a blessing. Amen? It is a blessing. Right? We don't have to pretend like it's not a blessing. It's nice to receive gifts. Right? On your birthday, you receive a gift. That's a blessing. Amen? Right? At Christmas time, you receive a, a, a gift. You know, many of you have been generous and, and, and gave gifts to our family for Sophia and for my wife. And, and that's been a blessing. That's a nice blessing. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a big help to us. And my wife has appreciated it. And, and Sophia, though she doesn't know it yet, she's going to appreciate it. And, and that's a blessing. 
But if we want to receive the better blessing, we need to be willing to give. Because it is more blessed to give than to receive. As nice it is, as it is to receive, to receive a gift, it is a more, better, bigger blessing to give than it is to receive. Because there are certain blessings that only come on the other side of giving. Not that this is necessarily in regards to giving, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Praise the Lord that he began and he finished the job. He is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There was a joy that could only be obtained on the opposite side of the suffering and sacrifice on the cross. That's what the Bible says. Who for the joy that was set before him. There was a joy that was presented to Jesus right there. The salvation of us. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. The cross couldn't have been pleasant. The sacrifice difficult and yet he endured it. Why? Because there was a joy that was on the other side. The same is true with us and our giving. If we want to receive the better blessing... It goes through the road of giving. And if we never travel down that road, we never get to that destination of the better blessing. So we need to give. You need to give. We all need to consistently be giving, have a heart to give. Even Bill Gates, I was uh, watching this uh, interview that he had. And uh, for a long time, Bill Gates was famously known as the wealthiest man on, on earth and he was the wealthiest man alive and and uh, now he is no longer the wealthiest man alive but one of the reasons for that is that he has given away so much of his wealth already and he's given away tens of billions of dollars and and that's a number that I can't even really fathom but I was watching in this interview it was him and his wife and they were talking about the endeavors and, and all of these different things and and uh, one of the last questions was, basically, the interviewer was asking Bill and Melinda Gates and saying, you know, uh, you, you obviously were wealthy billionaires and still wealthy billionaires. And, and uh, as, you know, you would talk to some other extremely wealthy people, what would you say to them as to why they should follow likewise? Because even though he has billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, he's not giving them to his children. He's giving them, like, you know, I mean, it, this is still, you know, maybe more money than we would see in our lifetimes, but, you know, like $10 million or something like that. But he's basically giving away all of his wealth. He's giving it all away. And, and the interview was asking, you know, if you were to talk to some other billionaires, what would you say to them as to why they should do likewise? And he said, for him, this is not a saved man, he said, Giving away his wealth has been the most fulfilling that he's done. The most fulfilling thing that he's done. And then he said this. You can't take it with you. This is a lost man that acknowledged when we die, we give it all away anyway. So the question is not, are you going to give it away the question is really this. When are you going to give it away? It's not are you going to give it away because when you die, guess what? You give it all away, right? You don't get to take it with you. You give it all away. So the question is really this. When are you going to give it all away? And you know, when you give it voluntarily, you receive the better blessing. So we see that there's a couple reasons why we should give. Hey, covetousness is a sneaky sin that we need to be careful of. We're covetous of our neighbor's house, of his wealth, of his possessions, of the things that he has. We've got to be careful of covetousness. If we want to receive the better blessing, then, then we've got to be willing to give. And, and we see some reasons. And, and this morning, as we consider the reasons why we should give, 
I want us to take a look at the book of Acts and see how they give. If you have your bulletins, you can open them up and there's an outline in there and that might help you to follow along. But this morning, I want to see how the believers here gave. Because if we're going to fully be able to enlarge our tent, that's our theme this year, enlarging our tent. If we are going to be able to fully enlarge our tent, we must enlarge our tent of giving. Because remember, enlarging the tent was this idea of when you lived as a nomad, you know, and Abraham didn't have a city that he lived in and a brick and mortar house. I mean, he lived in a tent. And this idea of enlarging the tent was if your family got bigger and you needed an extra bedroom, guess what? You would just add on to the tent. You would enlarge your tent. But you need to first give the materials, the fabric, the rope, the stakes, or whatever is necessary in order to enlarge the tent. So if we're going to be able to fully enlarge our tent, we need to be able to enlarge our tent of giving. Number one, I see that we need to give as a reliable caretaker. We need to give as a reliable caretaker or a steward. Acts chapter 4, verse number 32 says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. The disciples here displayed an astonishing relinquishing of ownership. They did not claim that what was theirs was their own. I mean, that's incredible to me. They were willing to give of their possessions, their personal possessions, to provide for the needs of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They, in essence, said of their things, we don't own these things. We are not the owners. And this reminds us that we aren't the owners. We don't own the things that we own. You know what I'm saying? We don't own those things. We are stewards of those things. We don't own those things. We are stewards of those things. Psalms chapter 24, verse number one says, the earth is the Lord's. You know, here in the LA area, property is very valuable, right? Is it, this is my land, that's your land, that's his land, that's whatever's land, that's the developer's land, that's, they're building a new stadium in Inglewood, that's the, you know, the NFL's land or whatever. But you know what God says? He says, no, all of that land is mine. I made the earth, it's mine. That's right, isn't it? God owns all of the land. All of the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. And not just the earth, not just the land, and the fullness thereof. Everything in it, too. The land is God's, and everything on the land is God's. God owns it all. He owns all of it. Which means all of those things that you and I, we would say, that's mine, it's not ours. We are simply stewards. We are simply caretakers, managers, if you will. You know, we just, I just had a, a, a baby, a baby girl, and we've had some newborns recently, right? In the past year or so, past several months, we've had some new, uh, some new wonderful people in our church. And uh, so there's a lot of milestones and, and things like that. And one of the big milestones is work, right? First is work. And, you know, it might be mama. Or in Korean, amma, amma, or appa, and you know they, they say these words, and and uh, you know that's always cute. The very first word is almost always a, a a really great word. But then one of the few words after that that they, that they learn is the word no. Right? They start off so cute, amma, appa, no, <laughs> right? You know, and uh, so they begin to use these words, you know, amma, and appa, and then no, and then they begin to use words like yes and. And uh, then you begin to be able to communicate with them. And, you know, my daughter, my older daughter, she's, she's using complete sentences and, and expressing herself and, and things like that. And that's a, that's a great thing. And, I, I, you know, we're having full-on conversations, and that's exciting for me. But one of the words that I wish she didn't know was the word 
my. And every kid seems to know that word, my. You know, a family comes over to visit, they have some kids, and guess what? The kids, what do they want to do? They want to play. They walk into a new place, wow, it's a room full of new toys that I've never seen before. And they go in, they want to play, and guess what? That child who lives there, what is it? Mine. Oh, that toy's mine. That one's mine. And then as soon as they grab this one, the, the kid grabs the other one, then they, they let go and they say, no, that one's mine. And mine, and mine. And, and we can get into this habit of thinking, this is mine. This is my room. This is my bed. This is my phone. This is my house. All of these different things. But, but really, when a child says, that's my bed, does he really own that bed? This is my bed, this is my chair, this is my table. These are my toys, even, right? This is mine. I bought it or I gave it to you or all of these different things that those things are mine, but the child thinks this is mine. I own it and I control it and I decide and I am the possessor of it. But just in the same way that a parent looking at a child would know, yeah, I understand what you mean by yours, that you are the one using it, but really it's mine. I'm the one that bought it, and I gave it to you, but really I understand that it's mine. We that are saved, we are children of God. Who owns it? Does the child own it? The child doesn't own it. Who owns it? Heavenly Father does. God owns it. So giving is important because we need to remember, well, I don't own it anyway. This isn't mine. And these people gave relinquishing the ownership, realizing that they were simply stewards of the possessions that they had. And if we're going to be possessors, or not possessors, stewards of the possessions, we need to be faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 2. It says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. If we are not the owners, then that means we don't get to decide where it goes. The owner does, right? The owner gets to decide. If we are going to give, we need to give knowing who the real owner is. And the real owner is God. So if we're going to enlarge our tent giving, it begins with this. Remembering our place of stewardship. Hey, this morning, it would be a good time for us, each and every one of us, to go to the owner of all things and ask him, are we being faithful as stewards? Are we managing the wealth and possessions that we have as the owner would have us to manage the possessions that we have. And we're going to have an invitation later this morning. It would be a great time for you to just go to God and ask him, God, am I being faithful? God, I know that you are the owner. Is there any changes that you would like to make among your possessions? Acknowledging that we don't own it all, that he owns it all. Secondly, I see that we need to give toward a reasoned cause. All right, we need to give acknowledging that we are not the owners, but that we are simply stewards, that we are managers, administrators, caretakers of the possessions that we have. That's how we begin to enlarge our tent, acknowledging who is the owner. Secondly, I see that we need to give toward a reason cause. Verse 34, neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. There was a need towards which the people were giving. There was a specific need 
that was seen by the people, maybe even brought up in the congregation, that there was a need. And because of this need, it was brought to the attention of some individuals and they sold their houses and land in order to give it to the church. And they gave it to the church in order that distribution would be made to those that had need. They gave big because there was a big need. They didn't give just because there was a giving campaign. We're going to give and, and we need to increase our giving. What are we giving towards? I don't know, but we need to increase. Right? They were giving because somebody had guilted them into, you need to give more and you need to step it up and you need to do these things. They were not giving because of those reasons. They were giving because there was a need. I want you to know that when you give to God through your church, Bible Baptist Church, and that's how that works. You want to give financially to God, you give it through the local church. That is not just used up or spent or saved somewhere without a reason or a cause. There are things that we need to do as a church that require financial giving. We support a lot of missionaries, don't we? You know, that's our call as a church, isn't it? Right? Right? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. You should be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear what our job is as a church is to reach people with the gospel, with salvation, that Jesus loves them. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. That's our mission, right? Well, how are we going to send people across the world to reach people, to send preachers and pastors and, and those that will evangelize? How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to give financially. You know, every September we have a missions conference, and, and uh, one of the big purposes of that is for us to be able to see the need of the gospel around the world. You know, America is pretty well saturated with the gospel. I know that the culture here is changing, and there are pockets of people who don't even know why Jesus died on the cross. And, and I understand that, that there is growing a, a, a bigger and bigger need in our own country to be able to preach the gospel. You know, Brother Paul has been sent out of this church. Why? To plant a church here in America. And that's, that's a needy thing, but a great thing for us is to have missionaries to come in and to present fields across the world and show us, wow, there's a great need for a pastor over here. You know, pastor just came back from Thailand, and he was speaking with uh, one of the missionaries that we support. He's from Thailand. He was born and raised there, educated there. We even went to Bible college there and came to the States for a little bit, and he's been back there and, and uh, pastoring and uh, planting churches, and he's doing a wonderful job, and he told our pastor in the country of Thailand, which is a little bit bigger than our state of California, that there are, not counting foreign missionaries, 20 native pastors in the whole country. There is a great need over there. There is a great need. And, and we need missionaries to come in and to present those needs. And for us to have our hearts to be moved that we need to give so that we can fulfill the calling and the mission. But it's also that missions conference is for us to take a step forward if we are able and God leads for us to give towards that cause. But you know, our church, above and beyond that which com is committed every single year, we give more than that to missionaries. We give a lot to missionaries. It's not just the commitments that come through, the, through, through that conference. We give a lot. And we are able to fulfill the calling of our church greater because of your giving. It's important to give because we have that kind of a calling. It's important to give because there are some needs here at our church that are only provided through giving. This morning when you pulled in, it was raining, wasn't it? It's nice to have a roof. Amen? Amen. It's nice to have heating. Amen? I mean, as great as utility companies are, they don't give that to us for free, right? You want heating? You want a roof? 
You want a place? You want a location? Hey, that's provided through, through giving. You know, Easter's coming up, and, and we want to let people know about services here. We're having special preparation, and we're, we're doing some things to try to draw people into the church so that they would hear the gospel and be saved. You know, we have a banner that goes outside, and when you give, it goes towards things like that. Invitations left on people's doors and, and a website where people, they search, and they find a church, and they come and visit, and, and we have a property, and, and we have visitors all the time that come simply because they drove by and they saw our church. Hey, we didn't have this property. They, they wouldn't have known about our church. They wouldn't have come. And all of that is provided for by your giving. Giving is important, and we need to give knowing that it goes towards a cause, goes towards a specific purpose. There's a verse in Psalms chapter 50, verse number 7. There's a number of verses here that I think are enlightening for us as believers. Verse number 7 says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. So really, this verse is speaking towards the children of Israel, but I think we could take some of the lessons learned. Verse number 8 says, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. He's saying, I'm not going to rebuke you because of the sacrifices, but he says, I will, not I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. He says, I'm not taking any of these things out of you, Right? Right? When the, when the children of Israel, they offered sacrifices and, and the feeling of the people was God is taking these things from me. God is saying, I've not taken anything from you. I don't need any of these things. He says in verse number 10, for every beast of the forest is mine. Hey, how many cattle do you own? You own 10? You own 20? If you're extremely wealthy, like the wealthiest man in all the earth, you have a thousand? God says, how many free roaming cattle are there in the world? I own all of them. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, not that God gets hungry, but if I were hungry, I would not tell thee, right? Little child gets hungry, what do they do? They go to mom or dad and they say, I'm hungry, right? They go and say, feed me. God doesn't get hungry, and he says, if I did get hungry, I'm not coming to you. God's not coming to us and saying, feed me. That's what he's saying. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Besides that, will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? I, it, it's very enlightening. Sometimes people, when, when it comes to the topic of giving, they feel like God is taking and God is saying, don't get the wrong idea here. I'm not taking anything. If I were hungry, you think I would come to you? I own the world. And I own all the beasts. And I own all the fullness thereof. If I were hungry, I'm not coming to you and asking you to give to me. I already own it all. So why give? How do we give? Well, we need to give purposefully, knowing what it is that we're giving to Psalm chapter 50, verse number 14, the very next verse. Offer unto God thanksgiving. We should give to God because we are thankful. That's why we should give. We should give thankfully. We should give cheerfully. Offer unto God thanksgiving. Why should we give to our church? Because I'm thankful to God. I'm thankful to God for life. So I'm going to give to him. I'm thankful for salvation. That not just I have physical life, but I have eternal life. I'm thankful for that, so I'm going to give. And I give to God through my church. I'm thankful for my church. I'm thankful for the people here. I'm thankful for the things here. I'm thankful for all of these things. That's why I give. Give purposefully. Why? When the offering plate comes around, don't feel like, well, God is taking my offering and slam down your offering. You know, don't do it that way. Give cheerfully. I get to give. Where is that offering plate? I want to give. Right? We, should, we should be chasing down the offering plate instead of passing it around, you know, forcing people like, oh, guilting them into it. No, that's not what's happening here. We should give thankfully with a cheerful heart, for God loveth the cheerful giver. We should also give with the purpose of obeying God. Verse 14, offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. 
There are verses that are regarding the giving of uh, Thanksgiving offerings to God uh, in the law and things like that. But just taking a look at verse number 16, here is God. He's changing his uh, uh, speech from his people, and now he's speaking to a different group of people. Verse number 16 says, but unto the wicked, God saith. All right, so he's no longer talking to the children of Israel. Now he's talking to a different group of people, and he says, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes, or my commandments, or my words, or that thou shouldest take my covenant, my promise in thy mouth, seeing thou hatest instruction, and castest my words behind thee? We give in order to obey God. You know there are commands to give in the Bible? Amen? Amen? There are commands in God's word that we should give. There's a number of verses that we can look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, but 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 1 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints. What is that a collection of? It's the offering, right? Concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given, what's the next word? What's the next word? Order. order. It's an order. As an apostle called by God, Paul is ordering the churches to give. He says, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia. And here is Paul. He's saying, I'm not just telling you to give. I've already told the churches of Galatia to give as well. It was an order. Even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. It's a command to give. Thirdly, I see that we need to give with the purpose of glorifying God. Verse number 15, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt, what? Glorify me. 1 Corinthians 10 says, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or give, that's not in the verse there. I added that part. Whether therefore you eat or drink or give or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. We give to glorify God. What we give towards brings glory to that thing to which we give. If you keep in touch with the, with the stock market and, and things like that, uh, you know, it goes up and down every day and things like that. But there's this, uh, for a while, there was this race towards who was going to be the first trillion-dollar company. Some of you may remember this. There are no trillion-dollar companies today, I don't think. It's fallen back below that mark. But there was a race. Who was going to be the first company to hit a trillion dollars? And there's a race between two companies, Apple and Amazon. So there's this race. I think both of the companies hit the mark. I think Apple was first, or might have been Amazon. I don't even remember. But there was a lot of attention given towards these companies. A lot of focus, and a lot of talk, and a lot of, wow, look at this company. Look how much Amazon is growing, and look how much people love this company, Apple, and look how many people are, are getting added to the roles of Amazon Prime and all of these different things. And there's a lot of attention give, given towards those companies and a lot of uplifting given because why? Investors kept pouring money into these companies, and they were lifted up. And we ought to give with the purpose of glorifying God, that we give towards that which is most important to us. Thirdly, I see that we need to give with a ranked choosing. We need to give with a ranked choosing because life is full of choices. Verse number 37 is talking about Barnabas. Barnabas is not his real name. It's a nickname. His real name is Joseph, but his nickname given to him by the apostles was Barnabas. It means the son of consolation. He was great at connecting people back together, reconciling people in relationships. And we see that that's how the Apostle Paul got reconciled, if you will, with the disciples there in Antioch, or in Jerusalem first and then also in Antioch. In verse number 37, it says, having land, here's Barnabas, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas clearly was a wealthy man. It says that he's from Cyprus. So we don't know the whole backstory of everything that happened, but 
I imagine that Barnabas could very well possibly have been one of those people that came to Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost and may have heard the tongues being spoken in his own language and gotten saved on that day, right? Because we see that in the early church, there was a group of people that were from Jerusalem, they were in Jerusalem, that was their home. And then there were a group of uh, uh, Jewish people that were from outside of the land and they had come in order uh, to celebrate the Pentecost. And so they were there and it's very possible that he would have come for that. And that would have been indicative partly of his wealth, right? Because it takes, it takes money to travel. Amen? It takes money to travel. So he would, and he had some land and he sold it. He was probably quite wealthy. And after he got saved, assuming that he was there on Pentecost, he, he was there and uh, was a disciple and, and uh, served and he gave. But as an individual who has some things, he could have used that land for a lot of different things, right? He could have used it for his own personal gain. Could have rented it out, allowed somebody to lease or uh, rent some land or build something on top of it and gain rent and, and uh, profit off of this. But he chose rather to give it to the church. Because each and every one of us only has a limited amount of money. Which means there's only so many things that you could buy. So your spending habits and decisions are decisions to say no to one thing in order to say yes to another. Or the flip side of this is when I say yes to this thing, I am saying no to another thing. And life is full of choices. So your spending, because you are forced to choose what to spend on and what not to spend on, it shows your priorities. When we give, we need to give according to our priorities. So what's your priority in life? What's your priority in giving? I would encourage you, if you don't do so already, I know many of you probably already do this and you keep track of your giving, and you know on a monthly basis what you give towards and, and spend money on and how much you go out to eat and how much you spend money on clothes or travel or rent and, and every single thing, you keep track of those things. And, and uh, many of you would have a good handle of that. You know, this is how much I spend on each of these things. But maybe there are some of you that don't. I would encourage you to spend some time, look at what you spend your money on so you can see your own priorities. You don't need to show anybody else. You don't need to tell anybody else. But between you and God, look at the spending of your finances and look at it and say, what did I spend my money on? Where are my priorities? And also this. Is God number one or not? Is God number one or not? And maybe there are some things in your life that you could take and rearrange and manage a little better in order to give more. Pretty much every one of you, some of you are visitors, you wouldn't know this. Now you're going to know that I love coffee. All right? I love coffee. going to Starbucks and uh, I would get the coffee just like somebody who doesn't like coffee I would get the weakest coffee drink there right you know the white chocolate vanilla you know whatever mocha frappuccino I don't even remember now but it doesn't even taste like coffee uh, but you know I wanted to spend time with Esther so I would go and I started getting into coffee and, and uh, now I drink coffee almost every single day so I drink a lot of coffee and uh, I realized that if you go to Starbucks, you spend a lot of money there, right? Starbucks is an expensive place. And uh, I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, I really need to do a better job of trying to manage some of these things. Because you go to Starbucks, you spend $3, $4, $5, sometimes even more on coffee. You do that every day you go to work. I mean, pretty soon you're at 100 bucks 
so I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? I could do a better job financially by buying the beans and making it at home. And I personally think it tastes better, and uh, so it cost me about 20 bucks for a bag, and so I'll use that, and uh, I, I was curious. So some of you uh, know that I love coffee, and, and uh, you know, I've received, like, at, at Christmas time, I might receive a Starbucks gift card, and so I'll, I'll use that. So I've been to Starbucks in this, in this time period, but the last time that I spent my own money on Starbucks was six months ago. And I was thinking about that, I was like, really? Is that the last time I spent it? And then I thought, you know what? That's been six months where instead of money going to Starbucks, guess where I get to spend it? I get to spend it here at the church. Or I get to spend it on some other things. You know, one of the other things that when we first moved here, me and my wife, we talked about, all right, let's, let's get a handle of our finances and, and uh, let's see some of the things that we could do. And so, uh, so one of the decisions that we made, and some of you will not be able to live with this, but we are able to live with this, is we don't have internet. First couple times we moved here, people would come over to our house and would ask us just automatically, what's your Wi-Fi password? And I would say, I don't have a Wi-Fi password because I don't have Wi-Fi. And then they would look at me like I'm from the 1800s, you know, I'm still riding a horse and carriage, you know, like who is this person who has no Wi-Fi in his house? We live in America, the 21st century. You know, how dare you live without Wi-Fi? But for us, that was a way for us to cut back on some expenses. You know, just practically speaking, you know what? Wi-Fi is important, but for us, it's not that important. We can use our phones. And if we run out of data on our phones, then we run out. Maybe it's God telling us we spend too much time on the, on, on the internet, right? You know, and things like that or whatever. And, and practically speaking, we might need to take a look at our checkbooks or at, you know, the online and see where we spend our money so that we can reprioritize. Take a look and think about, hey, you know what, this year maybe we can give a little more to missions. You know, because of some of those things, yeah, I, I'm able to give a little bit more to missions. This last year I committed more to missions than, than I did the previous year, than I'd ever committed before. And that was to the glory of God, but it took some reprioritizing. All right, do I really need this? I don't need this. All right, let's not do that then. Do I really need this? I don't need that. All right, it might take a little bit more time. I might have to restructure my morning schedule. I might have to restructure my night schedule. I might have to restructure the way that I live and spend my days. But maybe that's something that would be a practical thing so that we could get. Let me encourage you just this morning, we're going to have an invitation in just a moment for you to spend time with God, speak to him, ask him to lead and to guide. I would encourage every one of you during the invitation time to just go to God. If he hasn't spoken to your heart already, go to God and just ask him, God, is there anything in my financial life, in my giving, that you would have me to reprioritize? I spend too much money here, I'm going to spend less so that I can give more to God, so that I can give more to missions, so that I can give more to my church. Let me encourage you, just between you and God, maybe you don't even know and you need to go home today, take a look at what your bank uh, statements are saying and how much money you're spending and, and take a look at that. Maybe that's something that you need to do, but during the invitation time, I would encourage you to Make a, make a commitment that, God, if there's something that needs to be changed, I'm going to change it because I want to enlarge 